One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Hello Egg Chasers, it's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, and despite this shutdown of rugby, the lockdown of people, we are here in our respective TMO shipping containers to bring you a second podcast of the week, this one focusing on a classic match that we've all watched, and thank you for watching as well, the 2011 Heineken Cup final between Northampton Saints and Leinster. JB, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you Tim, and you? I'm very well. Did you? How much did you enjoy this game? Uh, it is unbelievably enjoyable. Is yeah. is the answer? It I've got a lot to say about this. Uh, Phil, what about you? Hello, Tim. Um, loved it as well. It's incredible to watch it. Incredible to watch back. It's incredible to watch that first half, knowing what's about to happen in the second half. And I loved it. Absolutely right. We, we did get contacted by someone, uh, one of our listeners in America, just to say, I'm really loving these classic games. It's helping me. Um, these, these are games I've never watched, wasn't aware of. So when you talk about ones you're doing in future, could you avoid spoilers? Because um, no. we, we, we referred to the comeback, which, which said he <laughs> took a slight gloss off, gloss off it for him. So sorry about Oops. that. Yeah. But, but, but I agree with you, Phil. Like knowing the, the chalk and cheese between the two halves was amazing. But something you touched on, on the last podcast, JB, was exactly what I thought about this game, which is suddenly you had a game of rugby, which is now nearly 10 years ago, which resembled rugby right now. Yeah, exactly yes. right. Yeah. It, Whereas 10 years prior to that, and it was a game that looked very, very different. Yeah, particularly the way the Northampton play as well. And I don't know if I'm... I didn't... When you watch a game, it's hard to watch it and analyse it. I think analysing a game is far... It's far harder and far different to just, just watching it. But certainly the way Northampton played, it looked like they had some sort of modern structure in place. Not so much Leinster, but definitely Northampton. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, Leinster, well, it's hard to know what to make of them in, in that first half because nothing they did worked. They got two or three phases in repeatedly and then tried to force a a knock-on or an offload or do something, and it just repeatedly failed and fell down, which either led to good turnover ball for Northampton or it led to a scrum, which was good turnover ball for Northampton. Now, <laughs> just to read... scrum. God. Oh, I know, it's ridiculous. Before we get into the specifics of the game, can, can we just, like, plot what was going on in the rugby world at this minute? So, Leinster, Great were, idea. Leinster were Heineken champions two years previously, weren't they? 2009, they beat Leicester Tigers. Yes, the, that's right. Yeah, in the Heineken Cup. 
Northampton um, Saints had been, am I right in saying they'd been down in the championship a couple of years prior? That's right. So people that realise this, uh, particularly if you only just sort of got into rugby in the last, well, within the last five, five years to a decade, really. But yeah, Northampton had some rather dark times. They were always a big spending team. Uh, funnily enough, the European Cup for Northampton, I think, has... A special place to them in the same way as a special place to Saracens and Leinster. Because the Heineken Cup was the first trophy that club ever won. The first major trophy ever. So despite all of their history and where they've played, they've never won a league, they've never won a Pilkington Cup up up until that point. They've never won anything serious until they won the biggest competition that you can win in the Northern Hemisphere under, under Pat Lamb of all people. So for Northampton, I still think the Heineken Cup or the European Champions Cup as it is now, is a very special cup to them. But they hadn't won it. 2000. Yeah, when did they win it? So they won it in 2000, wasn't it? Yes. 2000, they beat Munster in the final in 2000. Nick Beale, and what the other names? Well, uh, you've got Mendes, you had Tom Tom Smith, Smith, you had Budge Pountney, Grayson. uh, James Grayson. Uh, Not James Grayson, yeah, of course, Paul Grayson. Yeah, not, not, James Grayson was probably a, a twinkle in his dad's eye yeah. in 2000. Dawson, Grayson, John Leslie, uh, Ben Cohen would, played, played that game. Um, Pat Lamb. I'm trying to think. Rod Burr, there's another big guy. Bayfield Rod- and oh, yeah, Tim Rodberg. Yeah. Um, Andrew Blowers, maybe? Yeah, I think you might be right about that. So, yeah, you're right. This, this, this competition had a special place, but, but a couple of years prior... So this was the 2011 final, and I think you're absolutely right to plot the context to this, which was two years prior, Leinster were European champions. Northampton yeah. Saints were championship champions, getting back to the premiership, I think it was. Yeah, and there's also yeah. a really interesting point about this team as well, which the, the age profile of it, and now you, if you look at it, you probably say I'm, I'm wrong. So you, you know, look at it in, independently. But the age profile of those players is sort of, it's quite exciting because they're all very, very young. You don't think of them as young because obviously you know, we're nine years on, on in the future. But you've got people like Chris Ashton who's still playing. Foden is still playing. Laws. Courtney is... Laws, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Callum Laws Clark. was young. Yeah. Yeah. Callum Clark. Callum Clark Alec, Alex Waller was on the bench. So nine years ago, right, these guys had just started their career. And one of the things about this team which I really like is um, – well, I don't know if like. It wasn't a product of good scouting. Let's put it that way. It is my it, it is my belief, at least, that Northampton got a real a real steal in getting Malander in because he's a good coach. But also, he really leveraged his experience with the England under twenties. All of these lads that played well for Northampton tended to play for. Um, I've forgotten his name now. I just said, said his name. Malander. Yeah, for Malander when he was the England under twenties coach. And that's oh. basically what they did. That's why this squad has roughly the same age profile all, um, all, um, all across it. And probably one the reason that they all, it all got old at the same time too. Yeah, there was, there was a few more experienced heads in there, but not, not too many. And even people who we'd think of as experienced heads, like uh, Phil Dowson, Roger Wilson. There we go. Um, they were they were twenty seven, twenty eight kind of age. Lee, Lee Dixon, Stephen Myler oh, were younger than that. Twenty five. I would say that Dowson was younger. I say Dowson was twenty three, twenty two, twenty three. No, Dowson. He must so be this about was, thirty eight now. Nine years ago, he took twenty nine. He was twenty nine oh. in the game. Oh, there you go. Sorry, I I take it back. 
<laughs> um, it was interesting seeing Dylan Hartley um, captaining because he was another one who was was very young at that age to be captaining now, Northampton in a Heineken Cup final. I know you're going to say, I know what you're going to say, but weirdly, this does actually have the fingerprints of sales shocks all o- all over it. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the reasons is. Um, a lot of the lads, or at least two of them, which I can immediately think immediately think of, were well. They followed um, Malander over from Sale because Malander and Diamond were actually running Sale together for a little while, and they also worked together at England under twenties, which is why they ended up with Christian Day and Foden. And they actually bought Foden on the premise. This is unbelievable now, but scrum half, scrum half. Yeah, he yeah. always wanted to play scrum half. I remember him at Sale. Uh, um, um, I remember him at Sale tearing it up at fullback, but then he moved to Northampton because he, he thought he was a scrum half. Well, he was a scrum half. Yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. They said, look, if you come over, we will play you at scrum half. And they continued to play him at fullback. And which in few... hindsight was correct. Yeah, he had a few flashes of brilliance in this game. Uh, not, not too many, but a few. The outside break late on in the second half where he goes around O'Driscoll was awesome. Yeah, so I, I think the composition of the two teams is fascinating because on the one hand, you've got Northampton, who are phenomenal club players. I mean, they are as top-end club players as you can get. They're exactly who you want in the, in the grind, of, grind of the Premiership. Across from them, though, these guys are not just good club players. These are some of the all-time greatest players. I mean, you might look at that combination between Darcy and O'Driscoll I mean I was thinking of this I don't think there's a better combination of centres ever to play the game maybe Nonu and and Comrade Smith something like that maybe Um, yeah it's one of the all time greats it is Uh, and with with the young Johnny Sexton who was still very young at this stage (laughs) but has gone on to be one of the all time greats and guys like Keyslip, O'Brien, Leo Cullen, Kean Healy, who was another youngster, and um, Issa Nasewa, who he got one cap for Fiji, didn't he? Mm. Which prevented him from ever playing for the All Blacks. But ah. he, he he's such a such a class a class all round operator because yeah. he's he's played fifteen, he's played on the wing, he's played in the centre. He's even played ten later on in his career. Certainly, he was kicking for a long period in his career. He's just absolute class. He's such a Rolls Royce of a player. Yeah, yeah. but then, uh, you're right, but like we, this is 2011. They were just about to come into their prime and be this golden generation for Ireland. But, but those names, I mean, it's when you look back at all of those names and just, the, you know, 10, yeah. 12, 13, Bod, Darcy, O'Driscoll. Yeah. It's amazing. Even like Horgan. I mean... Uh, I mean, I've never been a big Horgan fan. In fact, I've always thought he's pretty. Ambitious. I'm a massive Sharon Horgan fan. <laughs> Catas- <laughs> Catastrophe is an amazing TV show. I love Catastrophe. It's not seen it. But so I know who Sharon so, Horgan is. It's so ridiculous. We watched it when um, Thomas was about two or three months old. It is so accurate. Brutally, for... brutally real, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's so like painfully funny because it's so real. Yeah, I've no idea what you're talking about. I watch it; it's really good. <laughs> well, it's good. Um, you'll enjoy it, mate. And if yeah. you don't like Shane Horgan, you'll like his sister. Well, uh, I'm, I'm reevaluating. <laughs> I'm reevaluating right now um, how much I dislike Shane Horgan as a player because I thought he's tremendous in this, really effective. He's. Re- I, I really like him as a bloke, as a pundit and stuff. He speaks really well. 
yeah, he's um, he's a bit of a, not a weird one. Um, that's not the right way, but right way to put it. But he's a complex character. And the story about him is, on the Lions tour, the Clive Woodward one to New, uh, New Zealand, one of the things he loved to do was have debates with um, Alistair Campbell, who unbelievably was press secretary. That, people keep forgetting that. <laughs> <laughs> How could you possibly forget that? It's ridiculous. Brilliant. It is the most ridiculous thing in sports <laughs> history, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I um, mean, unless... Unless next Lions tour to South Africa, they take Dominic Cummings to coach the squad. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you mentioned the Lions tour. This is something we didn't mention on the other podcast. Like the, the situation as it is, the Lions tour usually being in an odd-numbered year with no other big events happening is a big deal. But it's now got to compete with the Olympics and the European Football Championships. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a good point. That I mean, I'll still be watching it. Well, that, well, do you know what? that that means even more likely that we'll uh, you know get press accreditation and get there exactly they're going to yeah. need someone to cover it now you're talking yeah mm. but no yeah um, so you, so we we set the context for this game can i just can i just kick off with that northampton front row is that the most destructive club front row ever yeah. possibly isn't it incredible how you remember things compared to what the reality was? So I always remembered them running around a lot. I Tongawe, Hartley, Majati. Yeah, I forgot that they were good at scrummaging. I completely, completely forgot that. I definitely now, did. I definitely didn't forget that. I remember them being ridiculous. I didn't. I'd forgotten how good they were. Yeah, yeah. Majati, not Majati. Tongawe in particular. So I was going to save this point for later, but I'll, you know, as you mentioned them, I'll put it. Up, I'll say it now. Um, this game, people might be mis- might be mistaken into thinking it was all about Sexton, because I think he's uh, three points away from beating the record of points scored in either a final or even maybe a European Cup game. In Gen- I think he had twenty two points on his own before any other Leinster player managed to put the ball down. Um, so you might think, oh yeah, this game is all about Johnny Sexton. No, it's not. It's about Tongawea primarily, and then it's about the replacement Leinster tighthead. Yeah, the, and the the change because Tongaway's scrummaging. So um, it was Dean Ryan doing some of the pitch side analysis, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and he did halfway through the first half. I think he did a couple of them, but there was halfway through the first half, there was one scrum where Mike Ross tries to collapse the scrum. Yeah, he does. And um, Dean 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 Ryan is saying, "Look, Ross is doing exactly right here. He's trying to bring it low." And Tonga Weir just gets under him, which, considering Tonga Weir is about 6'4 or 6'5, huge bloke, incredibly tall for a, for a prop, um, gets under him and just doesn't let him collapse and powers him up so much that Mike Ross pops out, head pops up out of the scrum, and then Northampton really go to town. Yeah. Mike that, that was one of the incredible things, was the the continued drive of the Northampton scrum after they've already forced one of the props or, or both of the props yep. up and out. Yeah, and it also highlighted for me one of the more ludicrous stages of our game. And that was the... And someone did a really good video on this. I'm sorry I can't remember their name, but they're on Twitter. Um, if you look around, <laughs> you'll find it, right? But it's a video about the evolution of the scrum. I'm sure it's one of the analysts. That... Petrus. It was Petrus. Well done. Well done. Yes. Petrus it was, any, 
there's a very brief history of scrimmaging. And one of the most ludicrous periods of scrimmaging was the one that we're looking at now because the hit was so important. And that's yeah. what Tonga Weir gets right every time he gets the hit right. And, so, and, oh, the, and the instability of the scrum is unbelievable because, of course, you, they hit so hard and they're trying to keep it, keep, keep it stable, stable whilst wrestling. And this is what Tonga Weir is an absolute professional at. So he wins that hit and that allows him just to devastate Mike Ross. And you know, the, the job he does on Mike Ross is frankly an embarrassment. But, but what's, what was interesting is, I mean, the whole game goes chalk to cheese first half to second half. But the second half, yes, you're right, the Leinster tighthead comes on and really steadies the ship in, in an amazing way. However, the ship was steadied, and in fact, Leinster won penalties at scrum time and, and stopped Northampton with the same front row that was absolutely bullied in the first half. This yeah. big... Go on, sorry, Phil. Phil. Well, so I, I was watching this and thinking about it, and I actually think... Northampton were culpable in their own downfall. And by that I mean, so Northampton, obviously, the scrum defined their first half. But also, they played really quick ball in the first half. So they, yeah. they, they minimised the time they minimized the time that the ball was in at the breakdown. And I assume that was partly to stop um, the back row of... Um, Leinster and indeed the centres of Leinster scavenging the ball because O'Driscoll and Darcy were superb jacklers. So they, to try and stop that, they sped up all the rooks. So they got really quick ball from all the rooks, which meant they were moving a lot. And they didn't go particularly wide. Um, they struggled to get Ashton and Foden into the game, actually. What? But it yeah. meant that, that, that their forwards were carrying. The, in the first half, they kept on referring to Tongaway's carrying, Tongaway's carrying, Tongaway's carrying. And I I really think that Northampton's own tactics of having that sped up ball in the first half meant that Tongawe and Mujati were out on their feet I come forty five minutes. I completely agree with that because I think what Northampton had right was they had the right tools for the job. Now, with hindsight, you look at that game again and you know what's coming, and you're looking at it and you think, hmm. Um, there are signs that Leinster are far from dead, but you don't see it necessarily when you watch it first time round because of all of all the tries but the tools that Northampton have at their disposal are their two centers who are very direct I mean Downey and yeah. Clark I've always liked Clark I thought Clark was a superb player who never really got well injury hampered him but they were getting over the game line at will the fours yeah. were working hard do you know what I said before like I believe that Northampton were playing with a modern structure one of the reasons I thought that is because the props kept on popping up on the wing so do yeah. I'm not sure how long they've played the, uh, you know, a two-four-two or three, you know, whatever it is, whatever the two-three, yeah, you know, whatever the formation is that you want to play. But that's certainly what struck me is Tongue was always going in that wide channel, and majority was going on the outside channel, and that brings me to you know, a phenomenon which is very common for us today when we're watching rugby, but might not have been that common then, which is you need quality replacements. It isn't about your, your front three, it's about your, it's, it's about your front six, i.e. your three on the bench and three, three on the field. Yeah, and that, that was interesting because when Mujati gets yellow carded in the first half and Tom Mercy comes on... He batters him as well. Yeah, yeah. One, one scrum goes great, but then we don't see him again and by the time the replacements come on, it's already too late, the, the Northampton front row replacements. Now, Tom Mercy was an interesting one. So, um, 
you know anything about Tom Murphy, either of you two? No. I, I'm pretty sure as soon as you tell me about him, I'm going to know. But no, not off the top of my head. So, Tom Murphy, uh, a few months ago, was in the news, although you might not have known that it was him. And this was one of the biggest rugby stories, well, oh. ever. So, what we've got, we've got a Saracen salary cap. Yep. And there was another one, wasn't there? No, Saracen's salary cap. Okay. Is he a business advisor for Nigel Ray? Kind of. Oh. He's, he's married to Lucy Ray. No. And he is a director of, um, well, a, a few companies by the looks of it, but MNB Promotions and Premier Rugby Investment, um, or Premier Rugby Promotions, Premier Team Promotions, um, who were referred to as MNB Promotions in the Dyson Report, who are the company that paid Mario Toji £95,000 for doing nothing. Allegedly. Well, well, well. <laughs> so a, nice, a nice little link back from, from that game to this one. Um, and another, another little link back, nothing um, too major, but it's quite nice that we are recording this on the 29th of March, 2020, which is Chris, Chris Ashton's 33rd birthday. So happy oh, birthday. Happy Chris. birthday. Yeah. By the way, there you has there ever been a better time to do a deal than when Chris Ashton did his? <laughs> fair play, fella. Fair, yeah. Absolutely fair play. The market looks very, very different right now, doesn't it? It certainly yeah. does. Yeah, definitely. I hope uh, he wasn't in his probation. Sorry? I hope he wasn't within his probation period. He might. If, if rugby contracts have probation periods, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Chris is not working out. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, that actually. He might be I, expendable. It, I, I can't imagine rugby contracts work like that. I've got no idea. But can, can I say on this, um, we've spoken about the way that the game looked jumping forward in time to back in time from when we looked at a game in 1999 last week. The, the, the TV coverage was light years from where the BBC had it in 1999 for that game we did last week to yeah, what Sky yeah, Sports right had in that. 2011. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's come on again since, since then. But you're right, the Sky Sports... I mean, I, I, I wonder how much of this we notice because you work in media and therefore we care about it because we're always watching it. I wonder how much people actually do care about it. But you do see people getting people who only watch rugby during um, internationals, and I I know people like that who get frustrated at the BBC's antiquated um, panels and commentary team. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point, isn't it? Which is, you know, the commentary teams probably the BBC have been almost the same for certainly the, the analysts have probably been similar for the past best part of twenty years. Brian <laughs> yeah. Moore's been there for God knows how long. Yeah, and, and the game is just completely different. Like, to the point that, you know, if you want to understand the game now, I'm not even sure any one individual can, can understand the entirety of rugby now. But I, th- well, I think it was more it was, than that. I think it was... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, it's, it's more than that. So last week, the game we looked at was, there was John Inverdale and a couple of guys. Was it... Oh, no, it was, oh, that was that 1991 game. Um, oh no, what was I watching? I can't remember what I was watching. But anyway, last week's one, there was, it was... It, oh, sorry. 
It's all right. <laughs> Last week's one, there was there was very little kind of build up type stuff. Very not much production value. It was just basic camera shots and and the stuff. But this one had the, you know, the what's become now the Eddie Butler voiceover bit. But it had all those emotive things in it in the coverage that really only kicked in the professionalism of rugby on the pitch was replicated off it as well yeah and you had the which we mentioned before the dean ryan in play pitch side analysis yes and then then you had will greenwood who is very good at, at that kind of um that pitch side analyst and then he was straight onto the pitch afterwards as well doing the the wrap-up interviews which were, were pretty good actually and pretty telling from um, when he was asking O'Driscoll and Sexton about what they spoke about at half time, which is obviously the pertinent question in this game. And you got quite good, open, honest answers from those two as well, particularly because um, Greenwood would have played with um, O'Driscoll, wouldn't he, on the Lions? Yeah. So he would, he would know him well. Yeah. There's not a huge age difference, I don't think. Uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Five years? Bit more, maybe I think in my head. Oh no, maybe not even that much. Yeah, but yeah, they played together. So, um, yeah, but yeah, that that stuff was really interesting. I did like the um, the references at halftime to like because they were they were debating during the comms whether it was Joe Schmidt or it was Leo Cullen or whether it was um, Drico or who who spoke up at halftime. And O'Driscoll said it was Sexton who was one of the youngest men on, on the field, and he said <laughs> it was him that that really led the changing rooms at halftime, um, which was incredible. I'm not sure if it was a commentary gaff, but um, it's one of those because all the players were quite young. And like you say, Phil, about um, it's quite incredible that it was Sexton who was the guy telling everyone you know, exactly what to do. And yeah, you know, this game also had a bit of a, it was a little bit of a showcase for what was to come later in a lot of these in a lot of these players' career. Um, what, what do the commentary team refer to Cam, Callum Clark as one of the quiet men of Northampton? I thought that is a remarkable statement, which has never been repeated before <laughs> or since about Callum Clark. Well, I guess he was in Dylan Hartley's shadow. <laughs> yeah, I guess this was... Was it Rob Hawkins that he met at the bottom of the yes. rock? Yes, I think it was. I imagine it was either before. I guess it was before that. There is nothing about Callum Clark in a six, six foot four frame which is quiet. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Can I just say Northampton have got some of the best raw materials to make great kits, and in fact, their kit from oh. well, juice Yeah, their kit from two thousand when they won the Heineken Cup was wonderful. Just the classic what? thin, thin gold. Thin black and and thick green hoops. Yeah, perfect. Beautiful combo. Uh, but they managed Tetley on the front. They, yeah, they managed to. Oh no, uh, yeah, Tetley bitter. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but they managed to they managed to balls it up so much. And this what? was another this year kit? when they messed it up. I didn't like this kit at all. No, I was watching these two teams come out, and I thought they both look like they could have been walking out yesterday, and they've looked they. And it looks fine. I think both of those kits were fairly classic. So I didn't like this kit as much as some, just because it needs more of the black and yellow. It was a bit too green. But the, the colour palette of it, the colour palette, you're, you're exactly right. In terms of the, the raw materials that Northampton got are, are superb. 
I, I'm with you. I don't think this was the, the vintage um, kit for them. This was but, Travis Perkins, yeah. wasn't it? Maybe it wasn't their best version of it, but certainly I didn't. I don't feel like it was offensive in the same way that, say, Leicester Tigers' home kit from four years ago was. The yeah. tartan one, and, the ging, the gingham, uh, gingham no, tablecloth kit. No, the the cross shirt fade. Oh yeah, that was horrible. All, they've had they've had some stinkers as well. The camouflage as well was, yeah, heinous. I mean, they've had some pretty. No, that was Bath, wasn't it? The camouflage. No, it was Leicester. I'm sure it was. Although actually, I thought the Bath camouflage was quite cool. And a Bath had a Bath did have a camouflage kit as well. Blue, pink, reason. and white. Ugh. <laughs> quite like that actually. Anyway, we uh, we, yeah. we I, I we didn't stick go. around. I didn't stick around for the post match chat. What did uh, Brian O'Driscoll say that J- Johnny Sexton had said? So he said Brian O'Driscoll said he referred to other sporting moments and said like, look, um, this stuff. This happens. Comebacks like this do happen, and they happen in finals. And Sexton himself said he referred to the Liverpool in two thousand and five. I want to say, um, Istanbul three 0 three 0 down. Yeah, Istanbul. Yeah, where they were three 0 down and come back to win it. Um, so it, it was the reference to. Now, obviously, they 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 can't quite do it justice in those post-match interviews, but um, it's just good to get the insight into. The most interesting thing was who spoke up. Because you look at that, you do look at the um, Leinster team and there are experienced guys and experienced leaders. Nasewa, um, O'Driscoll, O'Driscoll and Darcy are in their early 30s. And their their future director of rugby, Leo Cullen. Yeah, Leo Cullen Cullen and Nathan Hines are in their early 30s and have been two quality players who've played all around the world or oh, well Nathan Hines has played Jamie Heaslip was the British and Irish Lions number eight yeah. in the recent tour yeah yeah, yeah. what are the so, things that, sorry go on Phil no I'm just going to say it. it's it's that it's the fact that, that Sexton um, did stand up and this I think this was I was looking back at the Six Nations and this this game does seem like a bit of a turning point um, because he, and this year was a bit of a turning point for, for Sexton because he he did play and, and did win the Heineken Cup in 2009 but didn't really secure the, the Ireland jersey full-time until 2011. Uh, yeah, he was always in a battle, wasn't he? Yeah, the year before this, um, he and Ronan O'Gara, one started two games, one started three games and the games that they didn't start they played the last 20-30 minutes so they were in in 2010 they were still the the island number 10 shirt was still very much up in the air but at this point in time it became sextons properly for the for the foreseeable future for the um, the rest of the decade and this will be a game that you know johnny sexton's nearing the end of his career now but in years to come people will look back Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. can talk about this game and talk about, uh, when, when they talk about Johnny Sexton's career. 24 points or 26 points for the entire game? Well, he's, he scored to all but the Nathan Hines try was from Sexton. So 28 points from him. Jesus. Um, and including um, when the comeback started, um, when, they, when they went ahead, when Leinster went ahead to 23-22, at that stage, he had scored every single point. <laughs> for, for Leinster. Now, because obviously we didn't see it, well, we did see it live, but we weren't watching it live this time. In the first half, did I, I mean, because obviously you're watching it with hindsight, did any of you get the feeling about what was about to happen? Did any of you see any of the warning signs? Yeah, I, I want to say yes. And there was, I mentioned it early on, and it was the failures of Leinster. They were getting two, three, four phases together and then knocking on or turning over at the Rook. And there was, there was a great break by O'Driscoll. Yes, um, he misses the, when he misses it. Yeah. It, so, great break um, and gets into the 20, deep into the 22 and loses the ball in contact. And you think, God, if that sticks or if you just hold that, it's on. And the same with and Strauss it, as well. Strauss drops a ball. Yeah. Which yes. Could go the length of the field easily. Yeah, it's it's on about the halfway line from a break. Horgan and Redden are involved. But yeah, the flip, the flip, the, flip the flip side to that is I, I wouldn't have seen it coming because if I was sat there at half time, I'd have been saying, even if Leinster yeah, make those true. passes stick, they're not going to be able to generate enough momentum, get enough territory, because they're going to be cut and they're going to cut and they're going to cough up three points here and there at least a few times through the half due to the scrum. Yes, yes, that, that's yeah. a very good point because at half time, you just you cannot see Leinster getting back into that scrum well, at all. I don't see Leinster getting into the scrum, but and again, it's not really fair to say I thought they were going to lose this. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't. But because you get you get the benefit of hindsight. There were a few areas of the game where Northampton were very loose. And you never give Leinster credit for, that, for, for any of it, really. Number one was the discipline. Uh, when Hartley barrels over that ruck, and I think they're in their own, in Leinster's 22, gives away a penalty. You think, that's just stupid. Then there's the majority, no. Yeah, the majority yep. yellow card. Yeah. And so they are starting to struggle a little bit with, a little bit with the discipline. The other thing as well is they were completely dominated in my mind by the Leinster lineup. Now Leinster didn't win many of, if any, of the Northampton ball, but Northampton left them wide open at the back and they carried on exploiting that, that back. So although the scrum was a mess, it turns out it was only the scrum that was the, that was the real difference because you can see all the missed, op- the missed op- um, opportunities in open play. You can see the lineup functioning well. And as soon as they fix that, they're at the races. Plus, the Northampton, Northampton's discipline is bad. 
when they're good. <laughs> yeah, when things are going their that. way. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So it was, I think, four scrum penalties at 24 minutes and one scrum word against the head by 24 minutes in. Yeah. Now, if you're not, I mean, they're winning by a lot, but you might actually argue they need to be winning by more. Well, no, you don't need to argue. They, you know, they, they needed to. They actually did need to be winning by more. Yes, they need a lot more, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, did you really notice the referee? Roman Poire. Yeah. Roman Poire, looking very young. Name as, a, as a scrum expert, according yes, to Yes, I clocked that, Stuart Barnes. You will not find a more <laughs> definitive scrum referee of the scrummage than Roman Poire. <laughs> I, know, I noticed that as well. <laughs> it's a bizarre statement to make, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's one of, the, one of the bad things about watching this game was having to watch it with Stuart Barnes commentating. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Just, yeah. I, can never, I can never enjoy it. I don't know what it is. I can't enjoy it. I, but I, do you know, stupidly, I shouldn't have done it, but I did. But I mentioned this to um, some of the people at Sky. And I just assumed it was kind of common knowledge that everyone thought that Stuart Bonds isn't, isn't particularly good on air. And well, he's not, is he? He's just not. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's just not. Um, and it was like I'd insulted their mum. Or I, I just assumed everyone knew, but they clearly didn't. And Well, he's very highly regarded in Australia. Like, I don't <laughs> care. I don't care how highly regarded he is in Australia. But that was the actual comeback. So I said, yeah, the... Because he asked me, like, what, what do you think of the broadcast last night? And it was one of the World Cup warm-up games before we went to um, to, to, do our, to, to, do, to do our live show. He said, yeah, the broadcast was superb. I really enjoyed it. I thought we did, did a great job. But I think it's time that uh, maybe maybe Stuart doesn't do all the games, that kind of thing. <laughs> maybe the games moved on. And it was as if I'd insulted their parents. Tim, you're a big Stuart Barnes fan, aren't you? I've I've always had a soft spot because we got to remember. Did you used to watch the rugby club on a Thursday night? Yes. <laughs> see, see what Sky Sports. I've just talked that they pushed it on from where the BBC had it, and this this game was another example of it. And I agree with you when I say it's been pushed on again. And I am biased, obviously, but I do think that BT Sport have ta- taken it on another step. But um, oh, JB, you there? Yeah, yeah I, I can hear you, mate. Yeah, sorry. Hello. Then, um, but the rugby club on a Thursday night. I, I used to get back from training, sit down, exactly. sit down with my dinner, watch the rugby club. I loved it. I love Stuart and Dowie doing their little little chat, and then you get the you get the championship highlights, and then you get an interview with someone. And it was I used to love it. I love the rugby club. I'm not gonna lie. It was it Durden Smith that used to do it. No, no, I think it was just Stuart and Dowie. No, it was. It was Durden. I'm sure it's Durden. No, it would have been. Um, no, 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 no. I know who it was. It was. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, what's the chap's name? He was the guy being the anchor on this one. He uh, does other. He he used to be one of the present. He used to be the presenter. Had like blondish brown hair. Uh, Simon Lazenby. Yes, Stuart Lazenby. It was Simon Lazenby. I'm telling you, it was definitely, definitely Durders. No, I'm not having that. I I, I guarantee because Durders right did that, and then. He- Moved on to, do you remember the Channel 4 Breakfast show? Is it AM or something? Oh, yeah, it was what followed up the big breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, he, he presented that. And that's why I know, because I remember saying, that's the guy from the rugby club. So that was when I was in school that that, that, that show was on. 
Mm. Well, we we can we can find this one out. That, that that But I have so I have very very fond memories of my I Thursday nights coming back from training. Memory. It's kind of now that I know better. Um, I will say this about the rugby club. One of the, my favourite things about uh, that show was the amount of dead ends that it that it went on. What I mean by dead ends is they would start off a feature, and you'd never see that feature ever again. So <laughs> they, they had one feature called The Dark Arts and it was a weekly feature about The Dark Arts and it lasted one show. <laughs> well, where's The Dark Arts? <laughs> I think they just got to say that we know nothing about scrimmaging. Between the two of us, we know nothing about scrimmaging. Let's move on. Well, before I worked on, before I worked on BT, I think I, I seem to remember something similar happening with them, which was... Um, on on the on the rugby tonight show was something like hits of the week and it was done like a chart countdown but with the big tackles and then I think basically then the concussion thing became a became an issue and they thought we probably better not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's a knockout <laughs> Yeah can't, don't mention the knockouts. Do not mention that. Yeah it's it is strange <laughs> how the game evolved in, in that manner. Oh, we did miss a story this week, but I'm guessing you won't want to talk about it, Tim. Go on, we can crowbar a little bit extra in if it's quick. Go on. A very high-profile man has got into trouble in the press for non-rugby-related incidents in London. I have no idea what you're talking about. Have I missed something really? Large card payments. Oh, oh yes. Now, you, two, you, one, yeah. you, you, you two can do a separate podcast on your own and talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it <laughs> yeah. later. <laughs> um, so uh, the atmosphere in this game sounded amazing, and I, I almost think every I would I would actually be happy if every rugby game, every big showpiece final was played at the Millennium Stadium or Principality as it is now. Yeah, I'm really yes. glad you that because that's top of my notes. That is, it felt like a real final. Now that's yes. as it is, and it, as as it is a real final. But you do get the feeling, and this is not a knock on Saracens who I I respect immensely, but. With their smaller fan base, if they don't get a team against them who is very, very popular, you can end up with a lot of empty seats. And that has happened. But this looked spectacular. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. And it sounded spectacular as well. And the Leinster fans always travel very, very well. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a hospital. Sorry? <clears throat> the Principality oh, Stadium is, is Wales' is kind of temporary hospital. Field hospital. Field hospital. Literally yeah. on a field. Yes. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Literally. Um, last, just one last thing on this then. Oh, actually two things. Number one is, the, I mean, the, I don't really blame them because it was nine years ago, but the Johnny Sexton loop. Was oh. the, <laughs> the run around, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's nine years ago, yeah. It was relatively fresh. I get it might catch you out then. It didn't need to catch everyone else out for the remaining nine years, did it? I did. So his second try was a trademark Sexton runaround. <laughs> but Heaslip gave the ball too early. Yes. But, and th- but then Heaslip makes up for that by totally, totally blocking. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Dowson. He just like shoulder charges him out of the way. He was the covering defender. And Sexton sneaks in to score. I found oh. myself shouting at the TV as soon as, um, well, as soon as Sexton got the ball, shouting, uh, he's going to loop around! He's going to loop around! <laughs> so it's like the horror film that, you, uh, that you've seen a million times. 
He's got a knife and he's behind you. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's coming. So true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, last of all, yes, this did look like real rugby, as I call it. Um, but I wonder if there's a sweet spot where it looked like real rugby, yet things hadn't quite hadn't quite bedded in. And what I mean by that is maybe the defence wasn't as stingy as modern defences are now. Can you imagine Ben Foden, and he was a bloody good player. This is not a knock on Ben Foden. But ben Foden goes on the outside of arguably one of the best 13s ever to play the game twice. Can you imagine Ben Foden doing that in his prime to a defence now? Hmm. Uh, I'm just, just trying to think. It does. It does still happen now. I'm trying to think of specific examples, but well, Hog could step anyone. Yeah, Hog goes wrong. Yeah, Hog's a great example, actually. Yeah, maybe. Um, or Chesling, Chesling Colby. I mean, I just don't think people go on. I mean, you got you got to remember that O'Driscoll. I mean, the equivalent to O'Driscoll now would probably be a job. I mean, there probably isn't one actually in terms of the ultimate dominance of him in that position. But like Jonathan Davis or Jonathan Joseph. Or any other sensor who plays outside called Jonathan. Um, <laughs> like they're, you're just not going to, on a one-on-one, step and go around the outside of them. Or am I, is that just rose-tinted glasses to today's game? Maybe a little bit. Maybe, maybe you're right in the, um, just because, maybe you're right flagging it just because O'Driscoll was so good. Um, they did repeatedly reference that he was carrying a knee injury into the game. Oh, that's yeah. right. So that that might have had a, an impact on it. Phone is so quick as well. He's so light yeah. on his feet. And it yeah. was only it was only a, it was only a month after this game when O'Driscoll was getting totaled by um, Umanga, wasn't it? Was it really? No. What? Yeah, it the, Lion, no. the Lions tour 2011 happened. 2005 Lions Tour. Oh, that was 2005. Of course it was. What am I talking about? <laughs> I was say, it was a 2000, a 2011 2013. World Cup. Yeah, 2011 2013. World Cup. Yeah, yeah. World Cup, yeah, of course. How far did they get in the World Cup, Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> the one question that you don't need to know what World Cup it is to know they, the answer. I'm, I'm, pretty sure they, I'm pretty sure that that team matched the record for as far as an Ireland team got, got actually. They probably called it. Yeah. Every single equal island record. team, every island team has equaled the record of every other island team at a World Cup. It's quite an incredible record to be that consistent. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Mm. Uh, yeah, so um, Ashton and Foden did make it lucky. And they were very interesting as well, Ashton and Foden, because they, they, when they came into the game, it was almost like a shock. Everything was so blunt. And then all of a sudden you get the injection of pace from Ashton and Foden and they just look class. I, I do wish that they played together for longer. Uh, because they were just such a good tandem. What I will possibly say is that the, the one th- I, I know what you're saying about the defensive weren't quite so stingy and that did make for a, a great game. Paul Diggin was the other one in the back three. Yeah. And you don't, get, you don't get many stories like him anymore. Just um, years and years to make it a hometown lad and ends up you know, playing in a Heineken Cup final. Was he playing at Bedford? Well, I, I remember seeing Tonga Weir play for Bedford against my brother. Um, so I, really? I, think Dig, I think Diggin went the other way. Yes. As in, Diggin was Northampton Academy and then at 28 or 29 um, went and played and coached at, at Bedford. Yeah, that rings a bell. I think, I think he did that route. 
But he, but Diggins' story is a is is quite a rare and quite a special one. He was sort of never never a star player, always just a real club man. But was there when they went down? Where were there when they came back up? Yeah, kind of star players would come in, and he'd just still somehow keep them out of the team whilst getting yeah. no plaudits. It was I quite like stories like that. And they, um, they did mention that he was the top scorer in the. Um, in the competition, yeah. In the competition that season, because Northampton were unbeaten in the competition as well, which is no mean feat. Right, okay, just listen to this. And I don't know if it's true. I don't know for I don't know at all if it's true. First of all, how old do you think Paul Diggin is? Now? Uh, yeah. 43. No, no, I think he's younger than that. I think. And hold on, hold on. What would he have been? What would he have been then? Two thousand eleven, nine years ago. I reckon he would have been. He'd be thirty-four now. Thirty-eight. Thirty-four. Thirty-five. Right. Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Now. No, this is a wind-up. This has to be a wind-up. And this is on his Wikipedia page. Okay. In twenty thirteen, Diggins signed a two-year deal with Northampton Saints, taking up position as player coach. Okay, fine. In twenty seventeen. Diggin returned to his boyhood club of Northampton BBOB as player coach to lead the baby boo sorry the boom baby old boys to conquering Northampton and the rest of the globe. <laughs> <laughs> he currently plays at Flyhoff for the club, weighs in at over 120 kilograms, <laughs> standing only six foot two and a half. <laughs> I'm imagine <laughs> I'm imagining I'm imagining he's actually at Northampton Old Boys, which is a local club in Northampton, and someone yeah. from the club that he coaches yeah. has is just so, having a bit of a laugh. Boom baby yeah. old boys. Six foot so, two. The actual weight, <laughs> the actual weight early on in the thing is hundred and seven hundred and seven kilograms. That's bloody big. No, he's never he's never no hundred and seven kgs. And no way five foot, he's five foot eight. I was gonna say, yeah, he's quite short. I, he might be 80 kilograms. He might have been 87 kilograms at his peak. 107? There's no no way on hell. He's seven kilograms heavier than me. And he's your no, height, Bill. No way on hell he was ever that way when he was playing. Oh, not, not when he was playing? No way. Not even close. He wouldn't be playing <laughs> on the wing or fly half if he was that big now. <laughs> no. No, um, no mention of Bedford, but I'm sure he did play at Bedford. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I think he might. Have, um, I think he might be one of the, one of those guys who just did his whole career at one club. I'm know. sure he's Bedford. Sure of it. I, I seem to think he did. Lee Dixon played it for Bedford as well, didn't he? Yeah, Lee Dixon. Yeah, a lot of them got. So Lee Dixon did it because he wanted to be a teacher. So that's his transition out. He went to play for Bedford. Ah, okay. And actually, yeah. So there was a great article by um, Sam. Um, how have I forgot someone's name? Sam Gloucester, commentator. Sam Roberts. Sam Roberts. Who, who wrote about... Um, oh, who was the lad, the extra hard guy who came from Northampton and then ended up in Bedford? Uh, I don't know. He wrote a really good article about it. Oh, is he the, real, the Paul Tupai? That's the one. Uh, ah, yeah. Paul Tupai. Oh, you probably played against him, Phil, a couple of times. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did actually when he was playing for Bedford. His son um, Connor yeah. is a scrum half, I think. Scrum half, yeah. And he was Weirdly. a massive number eight. Yeah, he was a number eight or second row. 
Yeah. <laughs> Paul Dupac. Now, and this will, genuinely will be the last comment I make on this game. I'll let you two have the last word. But the amount of infringements that were made in this game, which, as a guy who watches the game now, makes me just cringe, as in, how are they still on the field? The, like, the head-high tackles were everywhere. I don't mean head-high, more the seatbelt tackles, actually, and tackling around the shoulders. Uh, things yeah. which would probably get you a yellow card now, if not a red. Uh, yeah, and the, it's, it's the body position that people go into them in, the yes. defenders particularly, which does seem, even though the, the changes to the, the application of the law has only been the last couple of years, it does seem quite alien, the, the, yeah, tack, the height of the tacklers. For all the grief that we give the administrators of the game for changing the rules left, right and centre, they 100% made the right decision about the scrum. The scrums look much better than they did in that game. And they also made the right decision, it would seem, about the, the tackling height. And I know we go on like, oh, it's too high. or you know, It's night and day in terms of safety. And I'm not a big safety guy. But <laughs> some, of these, some of the tackles, you think, no, they, they shouldn't even be on the field now. And also, uh, Downey knocks, it looks to me as a deliberate knock-on, which I think would be given as a yellow card now, somehow stays on the field. So Yeah, but, but the... the... Bujarati yellow, I thought was very harsh. Oh yeah, yeah that was a harsh one actually. The the Dowson yellow, I was I was fine with that because it's red zone, it's try time. But the Mujati one was like pretty innocuous. Yeah, I guess that proves another point, which is the refereeing decisions now are far more consistent. So you've yeah. got that ridiculous yellow followed by a load mm, of I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I understand that there is a framework set down, but but. But in in some respects, I think almost the the framework works against works against the referees because like seatbelt tackles are a perfect perfect example at the minute, and I did clock that in that game that, that those were let go, and that but that would be one thing I would relax on because there are seatbelt tackle seatbelt tackles at the minute which aren't dangerous, aren't forceful, and yet because of a technicality, as in a part of the arm makes some contact brushing with the, a chin, at some point. It, it goes down one f- part of the flow chart and ends up with a yellow card or penalty or whatever, when really just play on. Play on. Well, I guess the argument is it changes behaviour. Um, looking at that game, you, I, would, I, I, I find it harder to argue <laughs> against it, looking at the behaviours of that game compared to where, where we're at now. But I would like to see a little bit more. One, one thing I did like to see, which I would actually roll back a little bit on, is there was a few times when, I think Owen Redding did it brilliantly a bunch of times, when Northampton players were just sort of leaving a foot or an arm on the ball and stuff. He was digging it out with his foot. I was like, yeah, yeah. love it. If someone's stupid, no, no Northampton player has their leg just happen to be over the ball by accident. So, yeah, get it out of the way, son. Exactly. <laughs> um, let's wrap it up then. What was your favourite moment of this game? Your defining moment, if you like. Ooh. Oh, the, defined, um, the, the defining moment was um, Sexton after 44 minutes. Just the way he got up from scoring that try and the look on his face, didn't even flinch, didn't celebrate, just like, he, he wasn't surprised, wasn't happy. It was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And, and I think his mentality is the thing that I take away from that game more than anything. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I do think maybe Sexton's second try, actually. The, partly because it is the runaround um, and partly because it just signalled an individual 
like an outstanding individual performance that lifted a team far beyond what you thought was capable 15 minutes prior to that. So, yeah, that bit for me. My favourite moment is every t- every scrum in the first half. If, if that's yeah, yeah. loved it. Every scrum in the first half is glorious. Yeah, but I think my, the defining moment for me would be when Leinster made the when Leinster took Mike Ross off. Yeah. Okay. Although, although I would I would repeat what I said earlier. They changed the the, the scrum tide changed with Mike Ross on the field. Because I, I was looking for the number because I was going. How can it have changed so much? And I, and I checked and... They changed him at half-time. No, 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 no. Mike Ross was still on the no, field in the yeah. second half. I, think I, don't, they did. I don't think it was half-time. Sure no, they definitely changed him at half-time. I, mate, I was, I was so amazed by the turnaround. I was looking for the numbers. I was like, it can't be. Mike Ross must have got... There's Healy. Okay, there's they Strauss. half-time. Well, I, 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 watched the, I watched the second half scrum Leinster win a penalty for and, and Mike Ross was the tight head. To be... Okay, to... Well... We'll have to come back to this, but I'm certain. Wait, I've got... Let's have a look now. Yeah, I'm, so I'm 47 minutes in. There is a Leinster scrum and Mike Ross is packing down. Well, well, well. The commentary team definitely say when they come back on, Leinster have made a change in the front row. Yeah, not... There's not on this. So that's 40, 47 minutes in, yeah. And it's the, the so, starting... Yeah. The starting pack, starting front three for Leinster. But but you're right. The but, but you know, Leinster the got more and more shifted. on top. The tide shifted. Yeah. Yeah, massive. The tide shifted. It was an enormous shift as well. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. But um, I, I really really enjoyed. I really really enjoyed watching this game. Yeah, it's a great one. We need to pick another one. We do. JB, did you have any ideas? I know you said um, a few. All or nothing. Actually, I have a contraption um, to draw out a... Well, I, what I thought I was going to do, and I didn't get around to doing it, I wanted to put out all suggestions and then pick them out of a hat. Okay. And then just, just, um, just go with that. Um, in the absence of that, I would probably want to do the... I probably want to do a, a premiership final. Okay. Um, Anyone against a premiership fi- a, a, prim- a premiership final? Hang on, I've got a list of the premiership finals in front of me. I'm trying I, to think I'd, of a really good one. I'd be up for one. I mean, so I was, I had a quick look um, after watching this game, a quick look at Northampton's trajectory in the, the following years. And they had a few good years of making top four, including two finals, one of which they won against Saracens after extra time, one of which they lost against Leicester, which was the famous... Um, Hartley Swearing Hartley, yeah. Dylan Hartley yeah, and Wayne Barnes. Just at random, I would say the one... Just at random, I'd say 2006 is, is, uh, would probably be good. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not having that. <laughs> Leicester Tigers. I mean, we have a lot of Leicester, Leicester Tiger li- listeners. They're a grand old club. I think <laughs> it would be good for us to pay homage. I mean, that was a good Leicester team. They made the final. <laughs> Who won that year? I can't remember. Who won? Well, let's discuss... Well, no spoilers. Remember what our... What other games could we do? 
I'm trying to think there back. Is... Like the, the Wasps Exeter game was amazing, but prior to that, uh, I tell you the one I really liked, and it's a Northampton game again. Um, I really enjoyed the Leicester Tigers Northampton semi final when Tom Wood scores. Oh God, what year was that? that? That was when Northampton went on to win the whole thing. Hmm. And actually, the oh. as well is a gem. Oh, because no, no, yeah. we we should change up. We should change up the clubs. So we have to change up the clubs. I do. I tell you what, a good one was the Saracens Bath in twenty fourteen fifteen. Because you've got the ultimate chaos of the of the Bath attack with all their ball carriers, all their stars. Basically, they're relying on star power. Saracens are not short of stars, but they're more cohesive. And whereas Sar- Bath have the attack, Saracens have the defence. And Saracens only just snuck into the top four on points difference ahead of Exeter Chiefs. Is that right? Yeah, the they finished fourth. The Bath, Northampton, Tigers and Saracens, would that be the teams that were... Correct. Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, and Northampton finished top. And they hosted. If that's available, that uh, that game. Let's let's have a quick look. I'd I'd definitely be keen to watch that. Two zero one five. I'm pretty sure I watched that with you, in the pub across the road from uh, the co-op, Jay. Uh, did we watch? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we did. No, no, maybe. No, we watched. Um, was that not Harlequins Last of Tigers when um. George Ford wins his only premiership. Mm. No, I think George Ford. I think George Ford was at Bath in. The... No, George Ford kicks the goals to win the premiership final at nineteen. Oh yeah, only, his only premiership win. Hmm. That's a good game actually. He's got the ex champions Harlequins, who sort of are there or thereabouts. Yeah. It's whether we have whether the game exists and is easily accessible. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've messed this up, so um, I don't really know what to say. Uh, I don't know what game to watch because um, I don't really know. I'd like to do a prem game. Why don't we just surprise people? What and uh, send one out? Yeah, and then we'll, and then we'll yeah. This we is, will it, pin we will pin a link to a Premiership final game, hopefully if, that we can find. We will pin it to our Twitter account at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. Perfect, 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 perfect. All right, All right wrap it up, Tim. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. He's at Jay Beermore. I'm at Cocker. Phil is lurking, but he's uh, otherwise engaged doing workouts in his home gym, twenty four seven at the minute. And yeah, hit subscribe in that feed because we'll have. Plenty more podcasts coming your way. Rugby or no rugby. Let the boys play. Thanks for listening. Oh, boys. Yes. What about Bristol Worcester Championship final? That was quite good. Oh, I would be well up for that. Yeah, yeah I'd watch that. If you can we find, to... find that, we'll post up a link. So it'd be either 2015 Bath versus Saracens or about... 2016 maybe 17 16 yeah yeah a similar time Worcester oh, versus Bristol the odd uh yes yes there was some there was some bonkers moments in that right okay we'll find that and pin it up at rugby podcast on twitter uh, and we'll see you on the next one nice one
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.